0: Welcome to the podcast of St. Basil the Great Catholic Church in Brecksville, Ohio, with homilies, talks, and interviews relevant to your Catholic faith. God bless you and enjoy. I tried to answer a nine-year question in one day. Now a nine-year question, by definition, takes nine years to answer. But I tried to answer a nine-year question in one day. So right now, you're probably thinking, I had a good breakfast, but now i got to listen to a guy who's either extremely arrogant, thinking he could answer a nine-year question in one day, or he's kind of an idiot. (laughs) And the bad news is, it's a decent mix of both. Yeah, (laughs) Who who said both? (laughs) Somebody over here? You beat me to it. You can't do that. Okay. Now, luckily, this was 20 years ago I was trying to do this impossible task. I was trying to answer a nine-year question in just one day. My family had been Catholic my whole life. We always went to Mass. I had models of prayer with my parents. I prayed at night or when I needed something. Through eighth grade, I was public schooled. I went to PSR. I wasn't the best student, because Laura Barboski was. (laughs) But I'm not holding a grudge (laughs) 25 years later. PSR ended in eighth grade, so my parents said, you know, in high school, there's this new thing starting up. It's called Life Teen. It's the first year of it. We don't know what it is, but it's a religious thing, and you don't have religion class at school, so you're going to go to this thing, and I said, okay. People, they were really nice. They were really funny. They took an interest in us teenagers. There was free food, <laughs> and there were some cute girls from other schools that I had not met yet. So I was like, this could be worse. Could be a lot worse. (laughs) And throughout those four years in high school, the lessons I knew in my head, several of them sank down into my heart. Have you ever heard it said that the longest trip a person will ever take is 18 inches? Have you heard that? That's the 18 inches from your head down to your heart. So I knew these things up here, but because of Great prayer experiences, great service experiences, great retreat experiences. Those sunk down into my heart to where I didn't just know it intellectually, but I believed it to the core of my being. And these four lessons, they're pretty big. So I'm lucky I learned them at all in life. Some people never do. The first one was, there is a God. The second one is, God has a plan for my life. And if I cooperate with the grace of that plan, it will bring me the most peace, joy, love, impact, meaning, purpose that I could possibly get. So, number one, there is a God. Number two, he has a plan for my life. Number three, no matter how bad a big sin I commit, if I sincerely come to God with a contrite heart in confession, he will forgive me, and we can be good again. And number four, there is an afterlife, and I'm going to be spending... Eternity. Long after the sun fills us out, I'm going to be in one of two places. I'm going to be with God forever in heaven, or I'll be alone forever in hell. So, these are four lessons I really came to believe when I was in high school. So, I started getting into my faith. There were a couple students, a couple guys who were a couple years older than me, and they had entered the seminary. And I was getting into my faith, going on retreats, talking at retreats, and this became a possibility in my mind. Maybe I could be called to be a priest. The thing is, when you're 18 years old, if you go to the vocation director and you say, I'm called to be a priest, Um, we can schedule my ordination, (laughs) they will say, that's a nine-year question. And if you're 18, we may ordain you, but we need to do a lot of prayer, and so do you, and formation. We need to learn what you're about. So that's going to take nine years. Okay, so if you enter the seminary right out of high school, you've got nine years. You've got four years of college seminary, five years of major theologic seminary. But when I was a senior in high school, I tried to answer a nine-year question in one day, which ain't going to work. Now, I wish I could say that after I failed that first day, I learned my lesson, but I didn't. Because the next day, I was like, well, oh, messed up, failed yesterday. Try again today, 24 hours. Let's do it. And I failed again probably 200 times because it was like nine months, you know? And that's like 200 days, right? So that's, that's how silly I was again and again and again. But it came from a warped view of what discernment was and what vocation was. Because I thought God's plan for my life was a secret that he would reveal to me if I was good enough. Which is pretty screwed up. Because what does that mean? It means God is standing there with this plan, and he knows it's the plan that's gonna bring you the most joy, peace, fulfillment, purpose, impact, and ultimately it's your path to heaven. And he's got that plan for your life, and he's saying, I'll tell you just gotta be a little better. You still commit sins after all. Come back tomorrow, maybe you'll be perfect, and I'll tell you, I'll show you this. Till then, it is a secret. I mean, that is not a loving father, that is not an image of a loving father, that's a pretty cruel God. It's kind of like a tyrant, like a joker, like it's just cruel, right? Now, I didn't know that consciously at the time, but that was my view. So I waffled back and forth. What am I supposed to do? I'm at a crossroads in my life. Am I going to enter the seminary right out of high school or should I go to college? One of my sisters was at Ohio University at the time, and it was close enough to home, far enough away from home. It was in-state. They had a major I wanted it wasn't in a big city, I don't like cities. So it made sense, like, okay, seminary or largest party school in the nation. (laughs) (laughs) So I went back and forth, I didn't know what to do, and I ended up going to a high university. And I had put that seminary question on the back burner. And my parents dropped me off, and I didn't have my good Catholic family. I didn't have my good Catholic parish. Didn't have my awesome youth group friends. Didn't have my youth group adult volunteer mentors. I didn't have anybody. And it was awesome. (laughs) Not because of that. It was awesome because it's what I needed. Because had I gone to some really supportive, faithful Catholic college with good theology classes, like Steubenville or Christendom or whichever, Walsh, you know, I wouldn't have grown like I did at high university because that was a time when God said, okay, you've had a foundation. Now we're going to test it. We're going to try it. We're going to challenge you. You're going to be the only person in the room. You're going to be the only person on the porch of that party at two in the morning who, when the drunk kid who thinks he's all of a sudden become a philosopher, (laughs) says something ridiculous about how God doesn't exist. And you're going to be the sober one on the porch. And it's 2 a.m. You're going to demolish him, okay, when you get in the God debate. You are going to have to be the one person sticking up for the church and for traditional morality. And just the fact that God exists in this sea You will be a light in the darkness. Not like everyone I hung around with was a, a murderous psychopath or anything. But I was going to be a light in the darkness. And that Lone Ranger attitude really made me grow. Because when we scheduled all our classes Monday through Thursday, so you have Friday off, it's like an extra long weekend. Like, I think that might be why OU was such a big party school, because it was so easy to schedule your classes Monday, Wednesday, Tuesday, Thursday. So you just have an extra day of the weekend, and the weekend starts on Thursday. So we would be playing cornhole. It's uh, 1145 late morning. We're playing cornhole, and I'd see my, my watch, and I'd say, all right, you uh, sub in for me. I'm gonna to go to mass, walk down to mass, you know. And I go to daily mass, and it's me, and it's seven ladies, much older than me. <clears throat> it was such as, and I'm literally seven, seven, and uh, they would make me be the lector every time, because they didn't want to get out of their really comfy chairs. Okay, which is fine. I'll be the lector. I was trying to live my life, and I was totally far from perfect for sure, but I was trying to live a life of being a Catholic, being a man of integrity. I'll go back to that first week when my parents dropped me off. You're meeting all new people. You have to just go to lunch with people, people you don't even know whether they're good people or not. You just go, because you don't want to be the one person alone. So you go in this big pack. And we come back to our dorm, and some guys after lunch. And, and we see these girls who are in our dorm, too. we figure out, oh, they live in our dorm. We had different, uh, the different sexes were on different floors, like alternating floors, boys' floor, girls' floor. I see a girl. And you ever, you ever hear those stories where a guy says, I saw her the first time, and I said, that's the girl I'm going to marry. <laughs> well, as you can tell from my discernment story of whether to go to the seminary or OU, I'm a pretty indecisive guy, rather non-committal. okay? So I didn't see this girl and say, that's the girl I'm going to marry. I said, she lives in my dorm. I may see her again sometime. <laughs> you know? Because I'm a wuss, and I know I'm a wuss, and that's it. I don't ask out a stranger on a date. Like, what if I get rejected? You know? No way. I'm not going to do that. But as time went on in these first year of college, we did start hanging out with the same group of people. She was a great girl. Just interesting. She was smart. She was funny. We could have deep conversations. So our, our friendship started going deeper and deeper. By sophomore year in college, I'm really digging this girl. Like, I'm getting to the point where I'm head over heels for this girl, thinking about her all the time. And we're becoming really good friends. We hung out so much that people thought we were dating, even though we weren't. We would be studying in the, in the lobby of the dorm on the first floor late at night. I'm studying for my classes. She's studying for hers. But we weren't studying at all. We were just goofing around. And everybody else left because they couldn't get any work done. So one night, it's like a 1 in the morning. And I'm like, hey, you know, you want to just go to West Virginia? She's like, You mean another state right now? <laughs> and I'm like, You're the only one with the car here. And she's like, Yeah, yeah, let's go. So we just, like, one in the morning, get up, take a little road trip in the middle of the night, drive to West Virginia, probably trespass into a state park because I think they close at dusk. Just get out, look at the sky, stars, talk, you know, and that's it, and come back. So it was weird. <laughs> But we were getting pretty, pretty close, pretty intimate in our relationship. I started to just think, okay, God, this is the girl. I'm going to marry this girl. I'm going to make her super Catholic. We're going to have kids. Isn't that a good plan? You know? And God was like, hmm. <laughs> and I was like, I'll convince you yet. And I'll convince her, right? So it gets to the point the very end of sophomore year. We were just talking, and she says, hey, can we talk tonight? And I go, yeah, sure. So later that evening, she comes to my dorm room. I tell my roommate to scram, you know. I sit on the couch, and she sits on the couch. She opens up this tiny purse and pulls out a Bud Light, puts it on the windowsill. pulls out another Bud Light, puts it on the windowsill. another Bud Light. And I'm like, this is a small purse. I don't know how women fit so much junk in their purses, especially this. And I'm thinking to myself, OK, this is strange. Like, we're having a party for two here this is weird and she's like nope pulls out another one and I realize it's a party for one so this is strange and she says you know the thing I need to tell you it's so hard for me to say and I've never told anybody and I'm not gonna have the courage to do it unless I've had a few drinks so at this point I pray a prayer to the Holy Spirit it is very deep, very spiritual, very profound. It's only 10 words. I'll teach it to you now. It's actually only two words repeated five times, and it goes like this. Help me, help me, help me, help me, help me. <laughs> and in real dire situations, I do 10 times. So I'm like, wow, this is heavy. You know, this, this is a prayer I also use many times as a youth minister when a, a teenager is having trouble, we're talking, or they come in to see me, and they have anxiety problems or depression, or they're thinking about suicide, or they're having family problems, or they're having spiritual doubts. So again, I'm like, help me, help me, help me, help me. And that room was just full of grace at that moment. It was beautiful. And she says to me, she says, well, she also had to drink some of the beers. So it's like, then we just had to small talk before she could get to the deep stuff. So it made it even more strange and weird. I'm like, this is so weird. Finally, she says, listen, about two and a half, three years ago, I broke up with my boyfriend in high school. A couple weeks later, I was hanging out with a guy. He took me home. And well, we were back at his place. And he takes advantage of me, pins me down. There's nothing I could do. Wow. Because this girl, for three years, had told nobody. She hadn't told her parents, which she was close with her parents. She also hadn't told her best friend. Her best friends throughout all of grade school, high school. She came to college with her, too, and they were roommates. I mean, this is like absolute BFFs. And she never told this friend. Now, there was something about me that made her feel she could trust me, that I wouldn't take advantage of her or take advantage of the situation. I mean, it's two years now. She probably got the hint that I was digging her, that I really liked her. But still, she felt... This is a guy who's gonna help. He's gonna do something, I don't know what to do. It's been three years. This has been on my heart and on my mind. I don't know what to do, so she sort of just drops it in my lap. And it's not because I'm some great guy or anything like that. It's because even though I had this idea of what I wanted for my life, her life, and our life together, God had a better idea because what she needed wasn't a Catholic boyfriend. What she needed was a Catholic friend I said, I have a friend at home. She went through the same thing when she was younger, and she's now a counselor. You should talk to her. So we called her at like midnight. They had a conversation a couple weeks later. I drive her back up to here to Cleveland, and she meets with this other friend of mine, and they talk. And this process begins. This process begins of, okay, I'm going to deal with this thing. Because if you have a problem in your past, and you've never dealt with it, and you've just tried to go around it, every time you look into the past, which happens a lot with our memory, every time you look in the past, the thing is still there. So she had to go back and go through the thing and demolish this huge boulder in the road into manageable pieces so it could be dealt with. Now, of course, this made our friendship so much deeper and closer, trying to help her with this situation. So it got to the point after a couple more months that this was really weighing me down. A desire can sometimes be something you're excited about, but when it's something that you're spiritually attached to and you're grasping for it, then it becomes a burden. Really, really heavy, and I couldn't handle it anymore. Like, my heart, my mind, my emotions couldn't handle it anymore. So I remember exactly where I was when I prayed a prayer. And I was right here. That's your driveway. And I was leaving the house in the car. And I remember this prayer because I meant it. And it was sincere for the first time in a long time. And I said, "Hey God, how about thy will be done? Can't handle this anymore. Like take this off my shoulders. It's too much. can't. Sick of what I want. <laughs> a couple more months pass, and God answers that prayer, because she drops out of school entirely, goes back to live with her parents. And starts seeing a counselor once a week or twice a week, living at home, back with her parents, stable environment. You know, it's good. And then she starts to go back to college, back at a college down there where she lives, a couple hours away. So she's not even in my life anymore. But something's happening. It was that moment. It was an inflection point in my life, and I think in hers too where things change trajectory. Imagine if you have a bow and arrow and there's a target on the back wall. You're aiming at the target and you're aiming right for it and you're gonna hit the bullseye, but then you decide to move just one degree to the right. If you move one degree to the right, that arrow, it'll hit the target but it's gonna be off the bullseye, it's gonna be to the right. Now if you take that target, move it another 50 feet back and you line it up and you're right at it, you're going to hit the bullseye, but you move that one degree, and you let the arrow fly. Now the arrow is going to miss the target completely because it's further back. And one degree makes a, a little difference close by, but 10 feet out, 50 feet out, 100 feet out, you're in a totally different place. So the analogy is the further in time you go, this one degree change in trajectory becomes... A huge difference. She was a photography major at Ohio University, and just my humble opinion, that's useless, <laughs> okay? Like, we got enough photography. We got enough photographers, okay? Like, $100,000 for t- photography degree? That's just my opinion. Okay, <laughs> that's enough. But after she went back to school, after taking a year off, she changes her major to social work. So now she is happily married, she has three beautiful kids, and she is a social worker. She went and got her master's. Now she gets into the mess in people's lives, sometimes in their own homes, and does everything that she can to help them get through that situation. Whatever their lot is in life that has put them where they are, whatever their own personal demons are, she's there to try and help them work through it. I'm not saying I did that. But I'm saying God can work through us. And this was an important lesson that I learned then. That God is a carpenter, and he has many instruments. He has many tools. Some of them are very sharp. Some of them are very dull. Some of them are old and rusty. But he can use those. This was an important lesson for me at that time in my life. Because I realized I can really have a purpose. And God can change the trajectory of my life and somebody else's life for the better even just a little bit, but sometimes people work in our lives and they change their trajectory so much that we were pointing down to hell. And after a couple decades of our life, that one little switch, now we're pointing at heaven and our eternal destiny has changed forever. It's just so strange. God wants to work through us to help other people. You know, he could do it all himself, he can come down to every single soul in this room and in the world and give every person exactly what they need. But he says, I am going to use all of you to help all of you. So this was an important, important lesson for me. I realized God can use me. Some people don't have this, this realization. Some people on a Saturday morning don't want to get out of bed. They think, what'll change if I do? Is it going to change anybody's life? Like, what's the point? What's the purpose? I'm not making an impact. But I don't have those days. A lot of people do. A lot of our young people do. They don't know what an enormous impact they can have on another person's life. So I'm lucky I learned this lesson. But again, this is 15 years ago. And a new one started to emerge after this, which was I am not just a tool in the carpenter's workshop. because when the Carpenter is done using the woodworking tool. He leaves the workshop and goes back with his family. So the lesson I'm trying to learn now, it's been a long time. It's taken a long time for this one to sink down from my head to my heart. The lesson I'm trying to learn is that I'm a son of the father, not just an instrument he can use to do some good sometimes. Remember when I said I had four lessons I learned in in youth group? There is a God. He has a plan for me. He'll forgive me if I seek Him in reconciliation. And there's an afterlife. The one I left out, conspicuously absent, is God loves me. That's the one that has taken the longest time to sink down from my head, down into my heart. Still working through that, working on it right now, in fact. But there's been some helps along the way. And not too surprisingly, it comes from the Bible. If, you can't, if you're not in a good seat, this says... This is John 14, verse 15. Jesus says, If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. See, I was trying to keep all the commandments not really out of love, but out of a sense of... Well, think of it like this. There's three different reasons we can do the right thing. Three different intentions. We can do the right thing out of a fear of punishment. We can do the right thing out of desire for a reward. This is like mostly where my two daughters work. They do the right thing because they're afraid of a punishment or they do the right thing because they want a reward. And we buy a lot of ice cream and it works. (laughs) But also sometimes, even at the ages of eight and six, I can see sometimes they do the right thing for the most noble of reasons, which is just straight up out of love, just out of self-sacrificial love, where you will the good of the other As an other. Even if what's better for you is going to end up hurting me, I still want that thing. And they do that sometimes, and it's totally beautiful. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, but it's not the end of wisdom. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. I had flipped the script, and I sometimes still do. This is what Jesus really said, same as the last slide. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. But sometimes I flip it around in my head as if Jesus said, if you keep my commandments, I'll love you. <laughs> totally backwards totally backwards and upside down. That's why, I, flip, I don't know if you can tell, but I flipped this Jesus face upside down. You know, it's totally backwards. It kind of feels sacrilegious, so don't look at it too long. But <clears throat> this is totally backwards. Like, if I'm good, then he'll love me. Instead of what it really should be, which is, he loves me. Now I will be good, which comes first. The Bible also says this in 1 John, the Apostle John in, in 4.19 says, We love because he first loved us. He loved us even when we were just an idea. Even a thousand years ago, 13 billion years ago, when we were just an idea in God's mind, we were loved. We were actually loved into existence. We didn't do anything to earn it, didn't do anything to earn our life, we didn't do anything to earn grace. He makes the first move. Now, we have to make moves too, and we have to respond, because salvation isn't just a one-time thing in the beginning. God starts it. That's initial justification, yes, but our salvation is something we continue to work on, and it's also a future event. The solutions, I'm, I think, are working Right now, because this is where I am still right now, this is what I've come up with. I've had some success with it, right? It's the Bible, because then I can hear how the words are supposed to be arranged. I don't flip them backwards. The Eucharist, which is the solution to everything because it actually is God. Hanging out with people who are better than me. And another big one for me is Getting rid of all the distractions in my life. Because sports, TV, movies, smartphone, these things, they got to get out of the way. Otherwise, I can't hear God's voice because so often it's such a faint whisper. Even when it's a shout, it's a whisper. Like you walk outside and you see a beautiful day and the leaves are out, flowers are blooming, sky is blue, the clouds are moving. It's beautiful. And it's almost like God is shouting, look what I created This is the universe. I made it for you. It's a saint-making machine. Let it do its work. But even when it shouts that loud, it's still silent because you go out there and look at that, and you still don't hear anything. So even when it's a shout, it's still a whisper. So these are the four kind of things I'm trying to to work on is (laughs) decreasing some things in my life so God can increase. That's like such a beautiful in its brevity and profundity, that line from John the Baptist. He just sees Jesus and says, he must increase, I must decrease. And the things in my life, the more I decrease things, especially myself, I decrease, then God has room to work. There's space. There's space in my heart because it's got less of me. So those are some of the inflection points. Some of those, those are some of the things I'm trying to work on to hear the Holy Spirit at work to know I'm not just a tool God can use sometimes, but He can. But I'm actually a son of the Father in the family. Because I've been adopted through baptism, I now have an inheritance, and it is in heaven. And that is crazy to think about. And it would probably change my life a lot for the better if I thought about it more. But I want to end with a prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Heavenly Father, teach us the lessons of the prodigal son. Teach us the lessons of the older son. That we have been loved from the beginning. That we don't earn your love or earn salvation, but it is a gift. Accepting this gift is going to mean we're going to have to throw away all our plans, all our desires, everything. We count it all as rubbish compared to the pearl of great price that you offer us. So, Lord, we give you permission to love us. We give you permission to make us feel loved as sons and daughters of the one true King. And we give you permission to love us the way you want to, not just the way that we allow. Come, Holy Spirit, and fill the hearts of your faithful and overshadow us. May all the things that we do, our relationships, the words we say, the times we choose to be silent, may everything, our successes and failures, everything bring you glory. As we pray together, glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit. As it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this audio from our parish. You can find other homilies, talks, and interviews at our website, basilthegreat.org or by subscribing to this podcast in your favorite app. Just search for St. Basil Catholic Church Brexville. St. Basil the Great, pray for us.